The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Okay, so without much ado, I am going to take you through a story. And it's a very famous story. But if you live on this planet and you are a Christian, you would have either already been through this story once or many times if you're older, Or you're about to go through this story yourself, but I promise you I am not a prophet of doom. I'm just stating reality. So this is Mark. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark. As a preacher, we often go through our passages with our commentaries and doing every exegesis in every word in Greece and try to understand it. Sometimes we do that. This message that I've brought to you today was probably the first message that I would probably say God downloaded to me. In other words, you know, when you're doing your quiet time and you read a story and almost every line God speaks, God speaks to you. Okay, it was one of those moments. So I haven't prepared this through commentaries. I've prepared this through what God said to me as I was reading the scriptures, and he illuminated these words to me. So, as you can see, I've got no notes, because I have lived with it since, and I want to share that with you today. You ready? Okay. So, we're in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to pick it up from verse 35. On the same day when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. And when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on the pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Verse 41, And they they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray. We love to worship you, Father. We love to be in your presence. Because in your presence, there is fullness of joy. In your presence, we find acceptance, forgiveness. We find a washing and a cleansing and an infilling of your spirit. We find life itself. We meet the one who could judge us and condemn us, but he embraces us as his own. We thank you for the courage that we have because of you. We thank you for the comfort that you have become to us. And we pray now, Lord, as we look into your word, 
I pray for every one of us that you will speak to your sheep, Lord. You will speak to your sons and daughters that their spirit will hear the voice of their father talking, that they may be equipped, encouraged, strengthened, pastored by you, O great shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do an interactive preach. You ready? So you heard a story before. Anyone never heard a story before? Anyone never heard this story before? All right, so you all know this story. All right, so whose idea was it that they should go across the lake? Whose idea was it? Jesus. Not Matthew's, not Thomas, right? Not Nathaniel's, not Philip's. Jesus' idea, it is really important that you remember whose idea it was to go to the other side of the lake. In other words, whatever happens to them along the way is no mistake because the one who commanded them It's God himself. He's not about to make a mistake. It was Jesus' idea. And Jesus is, as you all know, God incarnate. He's the son of God. He is God taken on flesh. He is the all-knowing son of God. Okay? He he is all-powerful. He is, in every essence, God. Although, obviously, Christology teaches us also, in this time, fully man. But he is God on the planet. He is the very image of the invisible God, Colossians tells us. So God, the Son, has given a commandment and says, let us go over to the other side. Where is the location? Where is the destination? What is the destination of the command? The other side. Hang on, guys. This is not a trick. Come on. (laughs) Help me out here. (laughs) It's not a trick question. (laughs) The valley. (laughs) It's the other side, okay? So until they have come to the other side of the lake... The word of God, the word of the Son of God had not yet come to pass. Because Jesus said, God the Son has said, let us get over to the other side. Until they have reached this point, the will of God for their lives had not yet come to pass. It's very important that you remember these two things. It was Jesus' idea, and the destination is the other side of the lake. All right, now let's begin. The first thing God told me as I read this scripture is, Jesus gave a command, and the disciples, leaving the crowd behind, or it says here, left the multitude to get to the other side of the lake. The first lesson God says to me is, if you are going to obey what I tell you to do, Joseph, you must be willing to leave the crowd behind. To be obedient to God often requires a leaving behind of those who have not heard God or those who are not partnered with you to go to where God has commanded you to go. It will often look like this. If you are perhaps in a, in a, a good job and God is asking you to become a Sunday school teacher for a local church, you're, be, you're getting paid lots of money here and the church is going to pay you probably a fraction of that amount. And all, you tell your colleagues, God says, I should become a Sunday school teacher for that church. And they ask you, how much, how much are they going to pay you? What? No way. That's crazy. Why would you do that? And all the naysayers will come to you and say, don't do that. Don't do that. Sometimes the crowd are your own thoughts. Sometimes you hear clearly what God says to you, what you are to do. And the what ifs of your own thoughts. What about this? What about this? What would people think? What would happen to me? Well, what about this? Moses did that. I mean, you're in great company if you ask those questions. God doesn't mind you asking those questions as long as you conclude to the the point of, I must leave this 
thoughts, there's other ideas behind in order to do what God has said. You must be willing to leave the crowd behind if you are going to obey what God has said. Sometimes those crowd are not bad people. It's just because they haven't heard what God told you. So you, couldn't, you can't hold them with the same accountability because God spoke to you, right? To you. You must be willing to leave the crowd behind. Therefore, leaving the crowd behind, they took him in the boat. God says, when I give you a job to do, it is classified ministry. Never think you can separate or you can replace our relationship with business of ministry. Even work's done for me. I'm sure Pastor McGill often talks to you about your personal relationship with God, praying, studying the word, being connected to God. This is the best decision these guys made as you know the story. Because your relationship with God is where your life comes from. Your spiritual life. Anything that you do that is worthwhile comes from Jesus Christ himself in your relationship with him. What he tells you. How he inspires you. How he encourages you. Where, where you when you do things that he has said and all hell breaks loose on you, you need to know you've got Jesus in your boat. You need to pray. You need to talk with him. You need to share with him your fears, your doubts. You need to ask for help. You need to have him as your very present help all the time, not just in time of need. But if he's your very present help all the time, when the time of need comes, he's your present help in that time. You know the story of Mary and Martha, where Jesus is, has arrived at Mary and Martha's home with Lazarus, and Jesus is teaching He's communicating. He's with his friends. He's talking with them, sharing fellowship with them. And Mary sits down at his feet to continue this communion with Jesus. And Martha is busy sorting things out, making sure there is plates and food and everybody has everything they need. And, Mary, and Martha comes to Jesus and says, can you tell Mary to help me, please? He's, she's just sitting there. And Jesus' response is insightful. He says, there are many things to be done, Martha, and they are rightly to be done, but Mary has chosen the better part. Mary has chosen to, to prioritize her relationship with me, my time with her right now, above even ministry, even serving me. Mary has chosen the better part. Never get too busy. Never get too busy so that you don't have time to spend time with God. Even in ministry. I, I say even in ministry because that's a, that's a mistake people often do. After all, I am doing it for you, and I? Um, it's the equivalent of um, a husband saying to the wife, darling, we need to spend time together. And she's like, I changed the boys, I changed the kids' diapers. I said, the boys, you know where this is going, right? I've got boys. <laughs> I changed the kids' diapers. I need to make sure there's food. I need to make sure the house is clean. I need to make sure they're ready for school. I need to make sure the communication with all their primary schools and their nurseries, all of those are sorted. We don't have time. I need to go and cook you your meal. And I'm saying, darling, we need to, we need to talk. I just want to be with you. 
if that response ever came back, and I'm not saying Ruth does this, but if that response, if that response ever came back, it's not that what she's doing is not important. I'm saying my wanting to be with her is more important. Okay? And that's what God is saying to us. Keep your personal intimacy with God. Do not let it be disrupted by anything, even works done for him. Number three. So these disciples have obeyed. They have left the crowd behind. They have obeyed the Lord. They are going on their way in obedience to what God has said, what the Lord Jesus has told them. And then the next verse says, and a great windstorm arose, or... <laughs> Squirrel came and beat against their boat that it began to fill up. And as far as they could see, they were about to die because it was not just a a small storm. It was not a a little perhaps. This is a mighty storm that is crashing into their boat and they are panicking. These are seasoned fishermen and they are panicking. So you can tell that it's not just a little storm, but it's beating against their boat. And the first thing God said to me, because I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and in our Pentecostal church, um, there is truth in obedience brings, brings reward. That is true. And disobedience has consequences. That is also true. But if, if that's all you hear, then when you, when you go through a difficult time, it allows the enemy to come and accuse you, and the first thought that goes through your mind is, what did I do wrong? But in this scripture, if Peter, James, and John, and Matthew had decided that Jesus, that's a great idea, but actually I'm tired, I want to go and see my wife, and they went home to have a cup of tea with their wives, they would not be in the middle of the storm. In other words, they are in the middle of the storm precisely because of their obedience, not disobedience, precisely because of their obedience. God says, when storm comes your way, the enemy, the accuser of the brethren, will come and try to tempt you to doubt, to make you doubt yourself. But God says, the storms, okay, no, no, I'm going ahead of myself. We'll find the purpose of the storm at the end. But God says, I am with you. Not all bad things that happen to you happen to you because of something you have done wrong. Remember that. Sometimes you go through difficult times Because you are obeying what I've said to you to do, and that is okay. Well, it will be okay in the end. He just said that to me, that I needed to be mindful of that. And I I hope it encourages some of you. When you're going through a storm, do not immediately think to yourself, God, I, I may have done something wrong. Please forgive me. And you can't think of anything you've done wrong, and yet you're living in this state of, what have I done? What have I done? It's a common mistake. Even the disciples made that mistake. When they met a man who was born blind, they're like, okay, still it has to be because somebody has sinned. So it couldn't have been him because he was born with it, so he didn't even have time to sin. So it must have been their parents. So is it him or is it their parents? Jesus said, no, 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 no. It's got nothing to do with that. Similarly, he's saying to you that when you're going through a storm, do not be overcome by guilt as though you have done something wrong. Do not fall into that temptation. But actually, obedience often brings difficulties. So the storm came, and it beat against the boat, and it was filling up, and they were nearly drowned. And this next bit gets me. In the time of their difficulty, 
Jesus is asleep. He's asleep in the stern. And they are, if, if you like, they are waking him up. They are struggling to, to pour the water out in, in order to obey what Jesus has said. It's like praying. It's like you're interceding. You're praying and you're praying. And you feel like heaven is shut. You feel like you can't hear the voice of God. You, you don't feel the presence of God. You feel he's away from you. He's quote-unquote asleep. You're not breaking through. You're not connected. You, come, you, you try and find words in the passage, in the scriptures to encourage yourself. And you read it and nothing comes. It's just dry. You're praying and you're like, okay, I'm just going to pray in tongues until something happens. You pray in tongues for an hour and you still don't break through. God is sleeping, as it were. Has anyone experienced that? Yeah? The dry season of the soul. What's going on there when those times happen? What's, what's that about? Why does God do that? Because we know Jesus would have known that there's a storm. He gave the command to go through that storm. And then he goes off to sleep. You would have heard this famous poet, poetry story called The Footprint. It is said of a man who had a dream that um, he and God was walking along the beach. And obviously he sees two sets of footprints. And then in his dream, everything is going fine when he's walking with Jesus on the beach. And then he recognizes that when he's going through a tough time in life, he only sees one set of footprints along the beach. And he's confused, and he's upset, and he comes to God. How is it that every time I'm going through a tough time, you leave me? I only see one set of footprints. And the response comes back to him. No, my child, in those times is when I carried you. So the footprints you see are not yours. They are mine. I am carrying you even in the times of difficulty. I want to say to you that Jesus, who gave the command to get through the storm, knew there was a storm. And even in his sleep, he was the one who was holding them and was able to get them to the other side. And I'll tell you how I know that, because it says it in the scripture. I'll tell you that in a moment. But I want to say to you that when you're going through a time where you feel God is not near you, when you're going through a tough time in particular, when you're trying to pray and you feel like God has left you, I want to say to you that the storm has a way of, of, of blinding us, fogging our sight. A storm has, has this... Um, deceptive way of helping us to focus on the problem rather than on our God. And that's the strategy of the enemy. He does that all the time. He wants to give you a problem so you move your attention from who your God is in worshiping to the problem. And when you do that, the problem magnifies. Because the truth is, what they have done wrong here is that they have forgotten that Jesus was on their boat. They have left the fact that God incarnate, the one who took on flesh, the one who made all things, the one who Peter has already confessed, you are the son of God. 
the one, the one who is going to die for them, the one who is prophesied to die on the cross. God himself is on their boat. But because there's a storm, they have disrespected the fact that God is on their boat and now focusing on water coming into their boat. They have despised the presence of God in the presence of difficulty. Let me put it in a different way. When you have become a child of God, when you have become a Christian, never, ever lose sight of what God has done for you to bring you home, to redeem your past, to guarantee your future, and to promise to be with you every step of the way in the here and between, in the here and not yet. He has promised to be with you. That is your most prized possession, that nothing else in this world can even compare to that. Never lose sight of that. No matter what we go through in life, our future is secured and God is with us. We are permanently home. The Bible says nothing in heaven, nothing on earth, no angel, no demon, nothing in our past, nothing in our present, nothing in our future, in the highest depth, length, breath, nothing in all of creation, nothing at all will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It is done. We are in. God has got us, and he is faithful to keep us. The scripture says he's um, in Hebrews 7.25. He says he's able to keep to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Why? Because he ever lives to make intercession for them. You're going to make it not because you had some skill to overcome storms in your life. You're going to make it not because you've got some proper expertise to help you through the problems of life. No, you're going to make it because Christ prays for you. Christ prays for you. Never lose sight of that. And so when Jesus gets up, he does calm the storm. And the next lesson is this. God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself in your pursuit of obedience to him. I say that again. God will do for you what you cannot do for yourself in your pursuit of obedience to him. In other words, when you're obeying him and tough times come and you feel like you've come to the depths of yourself, you cannot go on anymore, there's a problem that you cannot solve, God guarantees you here that he will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Because where's the destination? Until we have come to the other side, the word of God has not yet come to pass. So if he says to you, you are going to get there and you are willing to get there, he will do everything you need to help you get there. That's the promise of the faithful one who is with us all the time. He is faithful. And so he gets up. He's expecting them to solve it, but he gets up. And I find this interesting. When he gets up, he doesn't rebuke them as he should have. He solves the problem first, and then he asks them the question, why are you afraid? I told you we will get to the other side of the lake. That was the destination. We're not going to die on the sea. Has it not, have you not read the Son of Man must be lifted up? What, because I chose wrong fishermen, Jesus accidentally died on the sea instead? Really? Come on, Peter, really? So he says, do you have no faith? Have you still not believed? Do you not know who I am? Let me put um, a little pastoral note here for, for all of us, for one another. When people are going through a storm, 
as I've already just said, they don't see clearly. That is the nature of a storm. You can't see the shores in the same way. And therefore, people misbehave or people do things that are hurtful when they're going through a storm. Because I would have imagined that Jesus would have been hurt by the question, do you not care? God took on flesh to become a human being, to experience hunger and pain and temptation and tiredness. He's asleep because he's tired. God is tired. He's experiencing all of these things for the redemption of our souls. He's about to die for us. And in the middle of trouble, they are questioning, do you not care? It's like the mother who is giving everything, sacrificed everything for you. And because you are going through a problem, you say to your mom, you don't care about me. She's like, what? (laughs) So when people are going through difficult times, the pastoral note here is to be patient with people. As I said, Jesus solved the problem and then helped them along. To be patient with people. People will say all sort of hurtful things. Do things that are erratic, as it were. But if we're patient with one another, remember, we are all on a journey. If we are patient with one another, we can help one another get to the other side of the lake. Maybe you're going through an illness and you've been admitted to hospital and three days has come and Pastor Jonathan hasn't called you yet. Oh, I knew it. They don't care about me. All your life group have just heard the news, but before they could get to you, somebody else has whispered things into your ears. If it was so-and-so, they would have been there three days ago. And you say, you, 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 you allow the evil one to put things in your mind. And when the, the point here is not the person who is in the storm. The point here is the one who responds to the hurt. That's what I'm, I'm getting at with the pastoral response. When people say those kinds of things to you that are hurtful, recognize that they are going through their own storm and be patient, be caring. Let your love overcome the hurt and the pain and carry people because we will get there. We will get there. Verse 39. So he arose and rebuked the wind And said to the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Before I do verse 41, I'm going to ask you a question about this here in in terms of faith. Because it seems like Jesus was expecting them to believe in spite of the storm that they were going to make it to the other side. Here's a question for you. What will you do when something God says will not happen appears to happen to you? What would you do? Let me put it this way. Imagine your mom is ill and you bring it to the church and the church prays. They're interceding for you. So say you are, I don't know, you're 10 years old, you're the only child, you need your mom. Say you're a single parent, it's just you and your mom. And so the, the, the heart of the church breaks and they are praying for you and your mom. 
And in the middle of this prayer meeting, a well-known, recognized prophet or prophetess prophesies, thus saith the Lord, this illness will not end in death. And so you get your response. The church jubilates. You are all excited. Healing is coming. And the very next day, your mom dies. What do you do then? What do you do? When I preach this at another church, you guys are very polite. I heard somebody shout out, stone the prophet. (laughs) Okay. You think this is a strange thing? You think this doesn't happen? Well, this is precisely what happened in the book of John, chapter 11. Lazarus is ill. Martha sends... Martha and Mary sends message to Jesus. Again, every time you're talking to Jesus or you're sending messages to Jesus, I read it as praying, okay? Because Jesus is the Son of God. So they pray. Two days journey, they pray. The guys get to Jesus. Jesus says, this illness will not end in death. They say, okay, great. Two days journey back, they tell Mary and Martha, this will not end in death. And Lazarus dies. Then Jesus, who has said this will not end in death, knows that Lazarus has died and says, Lazarus is dead. He's asleep. Let's go and wake him up. So Mary and Martha are here. They receive that this illness of their brother will not end in death, and their brother dies. He dies. They bury him. They've waited one day. First of all, they see him die. Then there's a day go past, another day go past. He's smelling, they've rubbed him up, they put him in a cave. He's dead. Four days later, dead. The thing that they understood Jesus to say would not happen has happened, and four days later, he's still dead. And then, and then Jesus appears on the scene. So one response is, Jesus, if you were here, he wouldn't have died. This is them being gracious to Jesus. This is them being accepting of Jesus. I know you said he wouldn't have died, but perhaps if you had been here, what you had said may have come true, but you weren't here. Jesus cries, and he says, please believe me. I know, and they even say correct theology to Jesus. We believe in the resurrection. We know that our brother will rise again. They pacify themselves with theology, with good understanding but that's not what the word of the Lord was. Because they can't compute that God could be wrong, and therefore they must fall back on some explanation theologically. And Jesus says, no, no. You're right, but I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. So Jesus says to Lazarus, come forth. And he raises Lazarus. So what do you do when what God says will not happen happens to you? Do you rationalize it? Do you find some theological explanation to it? Or do you still believe? That's tough stuff, right? That is tough stuff. But I want to say to you that the very reason that Jesus is allowing this storm to happen 
is because he wants to mature his disciples. And the way he's going to mature them is to help them know who he is so they can trust him. So here's my disclaimer. The most mature Christian in the room is the one who trusts God the most. The most mature Christian in the room is the one who trusts God the most. A similar story happens later on when Paul becomes a Christian, loves the Lord, gets onto a boat. God says there's a storm ahead. Then the storm comes. All the experts, the soldiers, they're all throwing things away because they think they're going to die. And the Bible says Paul was just there chilling. No, guys, it's not, it's not going to happen. Because what? God has said to me, I must stand before, I must get to Rome. Therefore, I don't care what happens with this boat of yours, I am going to get to Rome. That's what it means to trust the Lord. So the next verse says, And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Question, they feared exceedingly. But the very previous verse says, There was great calm. The storm has ceased. The problem they were going through has been solved. But the next next verse says, They feared exceedingly. Why are they still afraid? The storm has ceased. Why are they still afraid? Again, it's not a trick question, guys. Why are they still afraid? Sorry? It's the accent, bro. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) What did he say? Is there a mind? No. Try it. Why are they, in fact, it says they were afraid when the storm was coming. Now the storm has stopped. They are exceedingly fearful. In fact, they're even more afraid than when they were going through the storm. Why is that? Sorry? Fear of the Lord. They have suddenly realized, oh my God, literally. Oh my God, you are here. You are here. The wind obeys you. Water, seas, obey you. Oh, my God. That is the point of the storm. Because they needed to know the God they served. They needed to have a better understanding of who God is. Because when you know God, the Bible says the works of God is to believe. You cannot believe who you don't know. The more you know him, you do the works of God. The whole point of the storm. I'll finish with this. You would know the story of Abraham. God gives him a word. You will inherit this land. Go, I'll give it to your disciples, your descendants, and all of that. And then finally, finally, after years of waiting, Isaac is born. Miraculously, Isaac is born. And as Isaac is growing up, God comes to him and gives him a different word. And he says, "Um, take Isaac and go and sacrifice him. Go go, go and kill him. How many of you, and then he gives him a, a, 
two, three-day journey to, to the mountain to go and sacrifice Isaac. How many of you know that Abraham at that point would be going through a storm, right? It's like, what? This makes no sense. But God has spoken, and he's going through this storm in his mind, and he's walking up this mountain with his son. And he puts his son down, and he's about to kill him. And God provides a ram. And out of Abraham comes Jehovah Jireh. Up until that point, everyone has known God as the creator or powerful one. But here in this position, after one man's journey up a hill to go through that storm, he recognizes that God is a provider. God will provide all you need. The term Jehovah Jireh has come to being. The God you have known as Jehovah Jireh is because one man went through his own storm. There is purpose in your pain. There is glory to bring to the Father for you to share in it if He can trust you with pain. If He can trust you to go through the suffering that you go through here, as Paul puts it, it is painful, it can be dreadful, it can be confusing, it could make you want to give up. But Paul says, it is nothing to be compared to the glory that is to come. God is with you. Count it all joy when you go through tribulation. God will never abandon you. God, even in the midst of the pain, is shaping you. He's making you. He's growing you. He's giving you a word that other people would only hear about, but you will know because you've experienced. Because you have known that God is faithful. Not because some preacher man told you. Because you walked with him. He wants to walk with you in your storms. And the one who walks with you will bring you through that you may testify of his goodness and kindness and greatness. Not because you heard it, but because you know it. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.